With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio.
Big enough, got me tripping on you. 
Ice water turn Atlantic. Night calling in a phantom. Told them, hold it, don't you panic. Took an island, start the mansion. Drop the roof, more expansion. Drive a coupe, you can stand it. She's undercover. I'm an ass and city lover. Guess we all meant for each other. Now that all the dogs free. And we out in these streets. Can you do it? Can you pop it for me? Pull up in a demon on guard. Looking like I still do fraud. Flying private jet with the rod. It's a Z. It's a Z. Pull up in a demon on guard. Looking like I still do fraud. Flying private jet with the rod. It's a Z. It's a Z. Blow the brains out the coop. Pully went on top, but I'm on mute. I'ma bust her wrist out cause she cute. Corona yacht, I've been up pool. She yeah. an addict, addict for the lifestyle in the paddock. Big daddy, have you ever felt Chanel fabric? Chanel. I be dripping the death, I need a casket. And yeah, we got more strikes than the rough and foul tackle. Wow. In the middle of the field, like David Beckham. I'm, on, I'm on locked up for real, I'm trying to help him. When I got a meal, got me the chills, don't know what happened. Pop, pop, do what you feel, I'm on that zombie. Hey. I'm more like a Daffy, I'm not no Gundy. Hey. I'm more like I'm David Goliath running. Hey. Hey. Be cloning, I find it funny. Clone. We from the north, straight out the dungeon. From the north, I go in the mouth, because of me nothing. Three hundred to watch it out of your budget. Me mugging got me clutching. Yeah, and this stick right out of Russia. Ice water turn Atlantic. Night calling in a phantom. Told them hold it, don't you panic. Took an island, start the mansion. Drop the roof, more expansion. Drive a coupe, you can stand it. She's undercover. I'm an Aston City lover. Guess we all meant for each other. Now that all the dollars free, and we out in these streets. Pull up in a demon on guard, looking like I still do fraud. Flying private jet with the rod. It's a Z, it's a Z. Pull up in a demon on guard, looking like I still do fraud. Flying private jet with the rod. It's a Z, it's a Z. And a Hellcat, cause I'm a Hellraiser. Self made, I don't owe a damn favor. When you get that money, keep your heart. I'm sliding in a coupe and got no key to start. I got the foul me and BET awards. When your well run dry, you know you need me for it. When I pull up in a Buick, you know what I'm doing. If the police get behind me fleeing, then you lose. Sleeping on the pallet, turn me to a savage. I'm a project baby, now I stay in Calabas. Like I'm still surfing, like I'm still jacking. I be sipping on trying to keep balance. Take that Z-Walk, dick it with my Reebok. I don't say much, I just let the heat talk. Your jewelry water whoop, diamonds like Re-Rock. My little baby ride like Seesaw. When I stepped up on the scene, I was on a bean. When I talked about the bean, I was in Celine. Baby girl, you just a fleen, that ain't what I mean. Money busting out my jeans like I do. Hello? Yeah, hello? Yeah, hello? I got both of you guys on. Court, you there? Yeah, Corey's here. All right, Brian, you here? Yeah, I'm here. All right, man. Well, guys, welcome to the show, man. I appreciate you guys for uh, taking time out, man, to um, come on the show. Um, so I guess, we'll just anna- I guess we'll just announce that... Um, Biden and um, uh, Camilla won the elect won the election. So, um, if we could basically start on, um, you know, your thoughts on this, and you know, um, what do you think about the outcome, and um, do you think that's going to be changed? I mean, anyone, you guys can start. Who? Uh, all right, I'll start. Um, 
uh, yeah, thank you, Tom. Uh, thank you for the opportunity of being on. Um, as far as uh, Joe Biden and Kamala winning, I honestly believe that it will be changed because of the person that was there before. You know what I mean? Having Donald Trump and coming from Donald Trump and the Trump campaign, I feel like it was a lot of hatred, a lot of um, a lot of division within the country, and. With Joe Biden and Kamala Harris taking over, I feel like it's going to be a. Uh, I mean, it's still going to be the, it's still going to be hatred. It's still going to be division within the country. But I feel as though we got a leader that's uh, better suited to handle the uh, the hatred and and the um, racism and stuff that that's been about about between uh, the Trump campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll say for me that um, I guess I'm, I'm excited about the idea of it all. Um, the idea being that there is a woman, and be it a black woman, who is now um, the vice president of the United States. Right. Um, in terms of Joe Biden being the president, uh, we've seen this before. Um, we've seen white men be the president before. We've seen white Democratic men be president before. We've seen... Um, white, seemingly progressive uh, men be the president of the United States. So that, nothing about that to me is particularly celebratory, but I think that vice presidential seat, with it being a black woman, is something worth celebrating. Um, As it um, pertains to the idea of change, um, I think maybe that's like really strong language, and I think it puts a lot of pressure on them um, to imagine that they would be able to like change this country. I just want to name that this country has been what it was for hundreds of years and to imagine that um, change would happen in like four or eight um, puts a lot of pressure that's a bit unrealistic on any set person. So I don't necessarily think there will be change, but I hope that there will be progress, right? And um, I think progress is a little bit more reasonable. Um, Also considering that, like, it, it doesn't only take the president and the vice president. It also takes... Um, the House of Representatives, right, the Senate, and all of these other seats, right? And so it's just like, well, you, may, you know, you, you may want change in terms of, like, the president, but, like, if you don't have control of the House, there's only but so much that you can do. So I think the best thing that we can ask for is progress, not necessarily change. Absolutely. So um, if I could touch speak now, um, if you guys weren't aware, um, Trump, before they came to a decision, Trump, went to the support not one time, three times with his legal team trying to change the election, trying to stop the count. Now, I'm hearing that he's on his way to uh, to take this to the Supreme Court because he stated that the election was rigged, that there was fraud involved, and he's not going out without a fight. Um, so what are you guys' thoughts on that? Um, I believe honestly, I think that I think that that's domestic terrorism. Anytime, I mean, pretty much Trump's whole his whole uh, basis on everything that he stood for has basically been domestic terrorism. You know, what I mean, him saying that he wouldn't uh, hand over the White House peacefully, and that uh, him even even at the um, even at the debate between him and Biden. When they asked him to denounce racism and he couldn't denounce racism or wouldn't denounce racism, 
uh, the thing that he did say was to 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 the racial groups or whatever to the the, the quote unquote good boys was stand down and stand by. I think that whole stand by thing is for this exact moment for when he gets uh, voted out of the White House and he doesn't want to leave. You know what I mean? And and I seen on on the news earlier that they were saying that uh that they were you know what I mean that they were forcibly remove him and things like that. Which you know what I mean. Honestly, I feel like feel like it's right, you know what I mean? Because with, with him being a president, you shouldn't put forth that example of defiance he is where, um, you know what I mean? Like, you've been voted out, and I'm just, no, I'm not going to move because I don't want to or because I don't feel like it. No, nah, you got to respect the vote. You got to respect the election, the, the, the whole process, you know what I mean, that puts you in the White House. You got to respect that process still, you know what I mean, when it, when it votes you out of the White House. Absolutely. I, I agree with Brian. And I think um I think Donald going to um going to the Supreme Court is exactly um a characteristic of like what white supremacy looks like, you know, and what white white privilege right. specifically right. looks like. Right? Um white privilege is supposed to always win. <laughs> That's what the rules say, right? Uh when you have the amount of money that he has when you have the amount of influence that he has and because he is indicative um, and looks like the same type of people who founded this, this country, like all of the rules say that like he's supposed to win. (laughs) And when it doesn't, when you don't win, you don't, you don't know how to unpack that. You don't know how to concede to defeat. So I think what he's doing is totally characteristic of what somebody who, I mean, this guy is almost 80 years old, you know, imagine a person who's been told yes their whole life. And then you have this one instance when the world, not even one person, has told you no. <laughs> you know, when you put a cat up against the wall, it's going to try to scratch you. <laughs> and I think that's what he's doing right now. He feels like he's up against the wall and he's trying to scratch us, but we'll see what happens with the Supreme Court. Uh, good. Absolutely. 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 If I could, um, if I could um, change the subject for one second, um, I had this on the last show, last two shows that I've done, um, speaking on mental health and um, law enforcement. So recently, probably about a week, week and a half ago, um, Walter Wallace Jr. Uh, you guys know who is, he was shot um, by Philadelphia police uh, yeah. for getting uh, yeah. for, for not dropping the knife, and yeah. I had mental uh, issues. So um, now remember now to my understanding that police aren't trained to uh, to how to handle people with uh, mental uh, disabilities. Um, they're trained to kill, and when they um, do ammunition training, they are they go for the chest and the head. So my thing is this: no, they did not know. I'm assuming the city did, did not know, but everybody, whether you are cop. Lawyer, judge, or whomever, everybody has a conscience. So why can't we shoot this man in the leg or the arms and let him, you know, uh, go before justice instead of just killing him? Because that's somebody's child. This is where you're somebody's child. That's somebody's family, and now that family, that family, has to suffer the loss of that individual. So, uh. What are you guys thoughts on this? And then before you guys respond, this is a continuance. I mean, this racism situation, us and law enforcement, hasn't gone on for quite some time. 
How do you think, and I'm going to use Corey's uh, words, how do you think we can see progress with this? Yeah, well, I think um, – um, so sorry, but No, no, no. Go ahead, Corey. Go ahead. Uh, well, I think one of the things that um, that it behooves law enforcement to do is, is similar to the same things that, like, social workers have to do and psychologists have to do, right? Or even teachers have to do or pastors have to do or parents have to do. When you get a call, you have to assess the situation, right? And um, even though I, may, I don't know all of the nuanced details about the case, I do know that his parents were the one that made the phone call to the police. And mm-hmm. the nature of the phone call was to get support. <laughs> and I think when a person calls police, um, they can be calling for several different reasons. You can call for justice. You can call because you need somebody to be apprehended. You can call because you're in distress, and you can call because you need to be supported. And according to the nature of the phone call, his parents called, and the nature of that call is that they needed support with their son. Support doesn't look like murdering. And I think um, when cops get that intelligence, okay, the dispatcher's called you because a parent has called who needs support with their child. As far as I'm concerned, the black male presence, when people see black male presence, they automatically think that we're armed because they think our presence in and of itself is offensive. So the fact that he actually had a knife or he had a mental health issue was just additional accessories, if you will. Um, So I think there needs to be a lot more stigma training that happens with police. I think there also needs to be culturally relevant uh, policing. And I also think that the police force should be, should mirror the community in which they serve. And I can probably bet you my bottom dollar that the police that responded to that situation do not even live within a 10 mile radius of where that infraction happened. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I definitely agree with that. And um, just just to piggyback off of what he was saying, um, I, I just think accountability needs to be into effect. But as far as what we're talking about, dealing with police and uh, police brutality and police forces and uh, police oppression and things like that, I just think it needs to be accountability. Just because you have on a badge doesn't make you a more superior human being than the next person. If uh, me, I work in a school system, you know what I mean? I'm a social worker. I work in a school system. So with me being in a school system, I work at an alternative school. So I have a uh, quote-unquote bad youth or troubled youth or uh, at risk, at-risk youth, you know what I mean, that I deal with every day. If uh, one of these kids, because they're having a bad day, if they come in there and decide, oh, I want to cuss Mr. Brian out today, or, oh, I want to – I've had kids come into the building with uh, knives and with weapons and things like that. And if I was to even uh, approach a kid in a manner, even if he had a weapon or not, if I was to approach a kid in a manner that was – you know what I mean, that that was uh, forceful or anything like that, you know what I mean, my job would be on the line. So I don't understand why, you know what I mean, which is rightfully so, you know what I mean, which it should be because I know what I'm dealing with when I sign up for this job. I know what type of uh, population I'm dealing with. I know what type of uh, youth that I'm dealing with when I signed up for this job. So, you know what I mean, 
I just feel like accountability should be in effect for policemen too because at the same time, I understand that they're doing a job and things like that, but it has to be accountability. If you shoot somebody or murder somebody in cold blood, you know what I mean, when you're getting a call to help deal with somebody, that should be murder. And I think that if you hold more um, people accountable for their actions, I think that it would be less infractions that came upon, you know what I mean, that that would come upon because people would Absolutely. know that there would be that there would be consequences for their actions. Absolutely. I want to I want to touch bases on something. Um so every time that an individual gets shot or killed by an officer or or hurt by an officer, um we go out we protest to for people for um individuals to for us to be heard. Now, um and I must say this, I, I was one of those who were out there uh, protesting all over the world, all over the U.S. And I think what I have to say is that when I'm out there and I and the, the cops, those officers out there are out there to hurt you. And I say this because I was out there with CNN. I showed my credentials. And they said, we don't care who you are. We want you to go home. We don't want you out here protesting. There's other ways to handle this. So they're knocking people down, kids and all. And I'm going to say this. Another thing is this. Those rubber bullets can kill you. They can do serious damage to you. So and so they are out there. They're shooting. They don't care who they shoot. They don't care who they kill. They just want you. They don't want you out there. So uh, this is the thing. So individuals are not going to let you just sit, just sit and say what you want to or shoot at them. Because that changed their whole mentality. They're going to get angry, and this mm-hmm. is what they want. But at the same time is that we, they're, they're saying, here, you don't have freedom of speech. We don't want you out here protesting. Go home. Do find another way for your, for your voice to be heard. But it's our right to go out there and to protest. They don't care who you are. They're taking you down. We again. I said three times. Listen, this I am out part of the media. I'm out here to story. I'm out here, you know, to be heard. This okay. Well, 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 go to your go to your station. Go go to the newsroom and, and announce it on television. Now out here in the streets. I think that's it's a part of my job to go out into the field. But again, um, so, and I was out there again. We're talking with officers of law enforcement and asking them, how can we come to some type of common ground? How can we put the stop to this? How can we make progress? Because at the end of the day, I'm going to tell you something personally mm-hmm. myself. I do not like any type. I do not like cops of any kind as of right now. If I see a cop come past me, I'm thinking negative. I'm thinking mm-hmm. negative. I'm thinking, oh, they're getting ready to shoot me. or they're getting ready. They do not care who you are. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a fear that I have. So... What are you guys' thoughts on that particular area? Um, of course, I'll share. Um, I think that uh, being on the front line is important. I think as black and brown skinned people, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And so we've seen murder and varying degrees of violence against black people who <laughs> have been sleeping in their beds. Or walking from volunteering at, at, at animal shelters, you know, or knocking on someone's door because their car broke down and they need assistance, right? We've seen 
acts of violence against black and brown skinned people who have been minding their own business, being law-abiding citizens of society, and they have been murdered and they have been killed. In addition to people who have responded to such instances by protesting and them suffering violence too. So what does that tell us? It does not matter if you're on the front line. It does not matter if you're minding your business. You just being a black or brown-skinned person in America is a threat to society, right? So if that's the case, I would much rather make sure that I'm out there on the front line demanding justice, making people uncomfortable, because to me, that attaches itself to the same risk that if I was doing anything, not doing anything at all. And I want to cite Sister Audrey Lord in this case who said, your silence will not protect you, right? So imagining that if you are not participating in any way, shape, or form and thinking that that is going to protect you, you are sadly mistaken, right? Because they look at us all the same, whether you're on the front line or not. And I also, uh, if I can, just want to name that, like, I want to be sure to say that I don't, I'm not saying that people who are not on the front line are not participating because there's so many different ways that you can fight against social injustice and dismantle white supremacy. It takes the people who are out protesting. It takes the people who work in local government. It takes people who are social workers in school, like Mr. Bryant, right? It takes people who are working at the grocery store. It takes people who are working in government. It takes all of us in any job that we have. We all can play our part to dismantle white supremacy, right? So I just want to name that, like, I don't necessarily think that everybody has to be out on the front line. But you can do it in whatever jurisdiction of work that you have because all of them are yours. Absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate that, brother. And uh, <clears throat> to go off of that, um, I, I mean, at the end of the day, we 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 got to do what makes them uncomfortable. If if if, if us uh, protesting and us uh, marching and stuff like that makes them uncomfortable, if that's what makes them open up and realize and and get their eyes on it, then that's what we have to do. I mean, if if I don't I don't I don't necessarily agree that um that everything has to be peaceful. You know what I mean? I I don't I don't necessarily agree with everything as far as the the looting and the burning and all of that, but I understand it. So at the end of the day, I I can't um I can't condemn anybody or anything like that. I, absolutely, I, I I agree. What has to be done has to be done. We have to open our eyes and we have to make people mad and we have to uh, uh, make people aware. And and and, that, and that's just what we have to do. And and you know, what I mean, like the brother said, it, it's different ways to go about um, protesting. It's different ways to go about, um, um, you know, what I mean, being there for for your people. You know, what I mean, there's it's many different ways. Many different ways. And take this out. This is how my grandmother. This is how my grandmother would put it. Right, my grandmother would always say, "You can't step on my foot and then tell me how to say ouch." Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't you can't kill my people, disrupt my 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 household, reinforce the status quo. You know, make me angry, um, keep me jobless, keep me suppressed. Right, and then. Tell me and only give me a few options of like how I'm supposed to respond to it, right? 
the unmitigated right. gall of you. You know what I mean? You stepped on my foot. However I decide to say ouch after that is my business, and you just have to suffer the consequence, be it peaceful or otherwise. Right. So I want to touch bases on um, substance abuse, and um, there has been, and also suicidal. There, the um, there's the rise for substance abuse, and the suicide rate has went up since the COVID nineteen. This whole pandemic has came about. I uh, visited uh, a police station in in, um, in here in New Jersey, and I was speaking to one of the officers, and he told me that four times out of this week that the medication box, the drop-off box, has been has been robbed. That they woke in there, there was no medication in there. So it leads me to two things. It, it it has to be either somebody inside the police station is stealing it. And taking advantage of it, because I mean, a police station normally a police station itself has well, cameras all over the place. So yeah. <laughs> my thing is, it's an inside job. But another thing is this: we, us, those who are in the mental health field, social workers, and educators as well, uh, have to find some type of common ground to help the, the, the. It's not only adults; it's a lot of kids that are taking their own lives because they can't handle it. Uh, with the whole pandemic situation that's going on. So, um, and, and it's on the rise. And, again, the officer told me that he has gotten over 100 calls within the past 48 hours about suicide attempts. So they're jumping out the window. 100 the when you get hit by a car. Yes. And it's, oh. been, and, 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 and it's sad. I mean, you can't save the world, but my thing is this. If you can save as many as you can, please do so. But I, I want to get you guys thoughts on this uh, this area, and let me know um, your thoughts on this particular area. Yeah, I mean, specifically about the I mean, high suicide rate. You're saying? Um, oh, suicide. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, what I specifically mean, I mean, about it did you want? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that's right. What what specifically did you want our thoughts on concerning it? I'm sorry. No, no, no. So, I mean, what are you guys' thoughts on all of this? This whole, how do you think an individual that's suffering from uh, mentally behind the whole pandemic and this whole COVID nineteen situation? Because I'm, I'm I'm gonna be so honest. I live in I live in South Orange, New Jersey, and I have a my neighbor. She has not been out the house in months. She comes through the door. Wow. And she goes back in. She's scared that if she steps out this door, she's going to get coronavirus and she's going to die. And she's a uh, middle-aged lady. Good. She's, she, she's well, not. Good, though, Tom. Huh? I'm sorry. No, I mean, mental plays a part in it. Even though it's a fear, mental does play a part right. in it. But, I mean, that, that's just an example. That, that's just an example, that example that I'm using. No, 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 no. I completely understand. I, I was um. It's funny that you said that because I was just looking at this quote that uh Jim Carrey has said. Um, I just seen earlier, and he said that um that mental definitely believe that he definitely believes mental um uh, that depression is real and mental health and everything is real. 
but you know what I mean? So it's also your brain, your, your mind is a muscle. And just like how you got to exercise your physical muscles, your, you know what I mean? You exercise your arms and you exercise and you run and everything like that to keep your heart healthy and everything like that. You got to exercise your mind as well. And I think a lot of the youth, uh, more specifically that I deal with the youth, um, I think a lot of the youth don't exercise. Like some, like, I, I, like, I live in South Jersey, so I live right now. Right now, I currently reside in Bushnell, New Jersey, and it's a lot of, um, you know, it's a lot of, it's it's quote unquote, you know what I mean? Like, like it's it's the hood or whatever. So it's a lot of I, I talk to a lot of kids even outside of my job. You know what I mean? A lot of my kids at my job I deal with outside of my job. But a lot of the things with the kids outside of my job and the kids that I dealt with before, not even just kids, people that I grew up with and everything around here, it's just that a lot of the people don't leave from out of the hood. You know what I mean? I've seen, people, I've seen kids that died at 17 years old that never left out of New Jersey. And that's the most scariest thing to me. And I think that's something that well, I got one kid right now that, that um, I'm dealing with that just got out of a um, life-threatening situation. He just he just got shot, you know what I mean? And right now he he he, uh, he just came home and he's still stomach stapled up and everything like that. And I'm trying to tell him like, man, like like this is another one of those kids that never been out of Jersey, you know what I mean? And now he's 20 years old or whatever. But it's another kid that's never been out of Jersey. You know what I mean? The, the furthest he's been is to Atlantic City and stuff like that. The, the go. I'm trying to tell these kids, man, like, there's so much more in this world to see, let alone in the United States. There's so much more in the world to see. You know what I mean? And that's why uh, uh, one of the biggest things that I try to tell these kids, man, is just don't be a uh, uh, statistic in the hood because there's so much more than just the hood, man. I mean, it, it's it's real, man. It's 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 crazy. And mental method, I mean, uh uh depression and everything like that is real. You know what I mean? We all deal with it. We all deal with it. You know what I mean? And um and and drugs and stuff like that and substance abuse and things like that are definitely not the answer to dealing with depression because Substance abuse and things like that are a temporary um, fix after that high or after that drunk uh, phase or whatever that you go through. You still got to deal with that problem face to face. So, you know what I mean? Substance abuse and things like that are never uh answer to depression, but it's, it's definitely real. I don't, I don't have an answer as exactly how to deal with it. Like I tell my kids, I try to be, you know what I mean? As honest as everything. I can help you help you deal with it, you know what I mean? Like in ways that I help myself deal with it as far as physically, you know what I mean, coaching and, and, and working out and things like that. But um it's more of like a mind thing to me that you have to exercise your mind on how to be stronger than the than the actual depression, you know what I mean? Letting it take over you. Not saying that it can't, you know what I mean? People deal with different depressions. I'm not saying that that you know what I mean that uh every, you know what I mean every every case is different every case is different sure sure uh i um i'm um, born and raised and currently reside in, in north new jersey um 
and, and that in and of itself is beautiful and wonderful. I want to be sure to say that. I want to be sure to name mm-hmm. that. But the reality of it also <laughs> is that it also has been very fun, right, because of the realities that are here as well, right? And um, I would argue that um, for people in urban cities and in inner cities um, have been living in a pandemic that started way before March 2020, right? Uh, so unfortunately for a lot of people, um, we've had to normalize certain pain because we've experienced it for like really long periods of time. But specifically around the coronavirus, and I know you was referencing like your neighbor and like what she's experiencing and what she's going through. Um, My father was impacted by uh, coronavirus and uh, we literally almost lost him. And thankfully he did make it. And when he was in the hospital for months, for months, for months, and he was battling, he had this team of nurses, but there was one in particular that he'll never forget. And he was saying that in, in, in the condition that he was in, when his lungs were filled with all of this mucus and all of these different things, and trust me, I'm getting somewhere with this, right? Uh, he said it was, it was very difficult for him to breathe. But what was even harder for him to do was to not panic in his attempt to breathe that which that he could absorb, right? So it was just like, it's hard for me to do this, but I'm making it even harder for myself because the little bit of air that I am getting, I'm panicking trying to get that, and it's making me even, it's making it even harder for me to even access that much that I am getting. That nurse said to him, listen, you have to calm down, and I need you to think about this. Every time that you're trying to breathe, and every time you're about to panic, I need you to breathe in the flower, and I need you to blow out the candle. Take your time. Breathe in the flower. Take a deep breath. Get the fragrance of it all. And then afterwards, I need you to blow out the candle and everything that you don't need. And when he said that to me, it was really powerful because it was a literal thing, but I thought it was more figurative as well, Right? And so for people who are suffering in this time during the pandemic with their mental health, people who are afraid to go outside because they think they'll literally die, and people who have suspended certain aspects of their lives because they're concerned about, like, their physical health in this moment, I completely get it, and they should be thinking about those things. But each of us, we have to find a way to still breathe in the flowers, whatever that may look like, right? So you may be afraid of going outside, but what is something that you love to do inside, right? Who is somebody that you love to talk to? Maybe you can take on a new hobby. Maybe there's things that you've always wanted to do, but you didn't feel like you had the time to do it. You may have a little bit more time now, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, you have to reimagine your life, and you have to become creative in your pain. And you have to become creative in your anxiety. And you have to imagine ways that, like, I may not be able to do that anymore, but maybe this is an opportunity for me to do this now. That is breathing in the flowers. And anything that makes you super anxious and anything that debilitates you, you have to organize those thoughts and then blow out those candles. Because if you don't, that fire will overtake you. Absolutely.
Absolutely. So, uh, Corey, if I may ask, man, how's your dad doing now, man? Is he good or? Oh, man. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's he's doing he's doing a lot better, man. Like, he's home. Absolutely. Outside of a few things, you would not at this point be able to tell physically what happened to him a few months ago. <laughs> but, I mean, if you would have saw him then, man, if, if a good win would have came. Like, you know what I'm saying? But now, physically, you can't tell what he's been through. But psychologically, he'll forever be changed. He's a lot more grateful wow. now and appreciative um, for things that, like, maybe he didn't pay too much attention before. And those aren't my words. Those are his, you know? But I appreciate you for asking, brother. No, no, I'm a, um, I, I ask because uh, my dad had it. And um, I, me and my dad, well, we're rebuilding our relationship. I had a very poor relationship with my dad. But um, hey. mm-hmm. he... Um, called me out of the blue. I didn't hear from my dad in months. And he called me and he told me he had coronavirus. But things that he said that I'm not going to the hospital. I'm going to fight this at home. And he he used different things. He used, I mean, this is, this is a true story. He drunk, he, he, my dad has all kinds, my dad has all kinds of pets in his house. And he, um, he's a plant lover. And so he waters his plants and the water that dripped from the plant, he put, actually put it in a bowl. He boiled it. He put all kinds of vegetables and everything, fruit inside of it, and he drunk the water. And he, day by day, he, he put his stuff under. You know, well, back in the day, uh, when, you, when you were sick, your grandmother would give you something to you, you know, a little bit under a whole bunch of blankets and sweat, sweat it out. And mm-hmm. that's what he did. So he told, and he just he told me step by step as how he he felt like if something was crawling his skin and something was still was inside of him trying to take his breath. But he told me he survived it, and he you know and the doctor kept recommending him, I need you to go to the ER, I need you to go to the hospital to fight it. I mean, it took him three weeks. He said it was a pain. He could not walk. Every time he get up out of bed, he fell directly to the floor. And he yeah. taught me, and um, I was very impressed. And it's uh, even after he told me that, and he was well, it still took me some time to go by to see him. But when I finally did, he hugged me for at least a good five minutes and told me that he appreciated me for coming over there. Because I mean, I, I did because at the end of the day, I didn't think when it was whole corona was coming, I didn't think about calling him. But I mean, sometimes I mean, it just tells me that you should try to call some people that you never heard from just to check on them and say, hey, you know, you are right. But you never know. I, I mean, personally, me, I lost a lot of people to the coronavirus and very, very close people. And I could not even attend their services because of the amount of people that could attend at this time. Now you can go a lot of people, but at the break of it, and that's why I lost a lot of people. So I was grateful that my dad survived it and that we can rebuild our relationship. Man, I'm sorry it had to take that for that to yeah. happen for it's you, but, you know, hey, some things have to happen for certain situations and reasons. Man, so, Corey, so Corey, I relate to that very well, man, about your dad, you know. Wow, wow, yeah, yeah, and, and what you were saying about your relationship and things like that, too. The same, the same, the same was true here, you know. The same was true, you know. Broken relationship, um, wasn't the, you know the 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 mending the relationship wasn't necessarily a priority, um, and 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 this situation, you know, made things a little bit, you know, different. And I had a decision to make, you know. Growing up, my father was very aware of what he had not been. And every opportunity that he got, he would explain to me and apologize to me for not being that while still not being it, right? <laughs> and uh, 
But he would always say to me, if I ever got sick, I can only pray to God that you would give me a glass of water if I needed it. And when it actually did happen, I had to think about what he had always told me. And it was just like, so what are you going to do? Right? That was the question that I was asking myself. Because you have access to some of the water that he may need. And are you going to be stuck in your feelings? Is this going to be about, like, revenge or retaliation, you know, or are you going to champion yourself to be to him what you don't feel like he was to you, you know? And um, and I thought about both options. I can't just say it was just like, no, you know, you're going to do this or whatever case may be. I toyed with my spirit. You know, my spirit was troubled about, about it. And for whatever reason, I decided to do, um, you know, I decided to support in the capacity that I could. And uh, without getting into, you know, all the necessary details, mm-hmm. uh, my my father says, Corey, your mom took excellent care of you. My mom has been struggling in her health for about 12 to 13 years, and God wow. has allowed me to take care of her cheerfully, right? And my father said to me, Everything that you've learned in all of these years that you have been taking care of your mom is exactly what you leveraged to help save my life. Thank you. And I was just like, yo, because of that, it's well, and it's all good. And now we're in a much better place than we had ever been before. So that part of your story, brother, I connect with that also. And I, and I will follow the best. Yeah. Thanks. So I mean, uh, back, I mean, so as as far as this um, police situation um, with police reform, man, how do you think is that? How do you think, or do you think that we have the capability of policing our own community? The question. Um, I'll share. Um, I, I I never necessarily thought that I would say this this way or whatever, but like I, I do think, and I'm kind of on the fence with this one a little bit. But you don't necessarily have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. In that, I don't think that like the police department in its totality needs to completely be dismantled. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think the idea of like defund the police and those types of things. It's like okay, I get it. But I also think, and I love my community, but I also think that, like, we get a real trendy with the hashtag. Like, oh, yeah, defund the police, defund the police. But when you really ask the person, like, what does it mean when you say that, right? What mm-hmm. does defunding look like and what does rebuilding look like? And the question is, do you have a strategic plan of what this should look like moving forward? Don't tear that house down unless you're actively building and you have a blueprint for the next one, right? And I think that um, I think that our thoughts around this are really led by um, they're emotionally fueled, and I would like us to just spend more time strategically, like planning it out. Um, I think that we already police our communities, right? Um, at least depending on, like, see, I, I guess I'm, what, I, what I'm really saying is, like, I'm into, like, neighborhood culture. And to me, that, that's what it looks like. Like, if I can know everybody that lives on my block 
if I can wake up Saturday morning or Sunday morning and sweep in front of my house, but also sweep in front of my neighbor's house too, right? If my neighbor's kids are outside, I can keep my eye on them. And I can encourage them when I see them playing nicely. And I can also redirect them or chastise them like if they're doing something they're not supposed to be doing. If I see somebody in the area that's hanging around a little too long, that is not somebody that we necessarily know, maybe I can just walk up to them and have a conversation to get a little idea about like, yo, we're glad to have you, but like who you with, you know what I mean? So I think those types of things like do happen in our community, and I think we do police our communities, but it, it, it doesn't always happen like with a badge, right? Um, but I think that we do need to do more like community building. We do need to do more of well, this, is, this initiative in Newark that's called Hug the Block, and they just like, yo, we go into this area of town. There's been a lot. There's been a lot of situations here, or like, you know, we're really connected to this part of town, and we want to see some differences there. We're literally going to go and hug the block. So a few hundred of us is going, or 50 of us are going, or having them come out, and they stand hand to hand, and they go around the block, or at least on the block, or on the corner of the block, and spit rhymes and poetry and affirmations and stuff like that, and just put good energy into the community, and I'm just like, yo, these are the things that I'm here for, and, like, I don't want to disrespect good friends that I have. Well, actually, it's not a contradiction, but, like, you know, there are some racist police. Unfortunately, it's not an oxymoron. I don't believe in the number of them, and I do get uncomfortable when I see any of them unless I know them personally, but at the end of the day, there may be a few that are all right, right? So I just want to make sure that, like, if we do things like this, who has a seat at the table? I need somebody who works in criminal justice. I need somebody who's a psychiatrist. I need someone who has experience with urban planning. You know what I mean? Like you just, you need, you, you need the grandmas of the community. You need the fathers of the community. You also need kids sitting at the table to tell you what they want their neighborhood to look like, right? So I want to hear more around what it looks like, the particulars of it, the specificity of it, instead of this general idea of it because I can't necessarily just walk with it's just overly generalized at this point. Mm-hmm. And I agree. I, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, as far as the defund the police, um, I, I, I think it's more, when we say defund the police, I think it's more, um, as, I think it's more of put the money the millions of dollars that the police forces get into the proper training and um and and also mental health uh rehabilitation and things like that that they're not getting. I think it's more so things like that when we say defund the police. It's not necessarily take away the police force and things like that. Because like you said, we understand that there are some uh, racist cops and there are some bad cops and things like that. But we also understand that that we have policemen as brothers too and sisters too. So it's not like we're saying that every single bad cop is bad. We're just saying as a general, as a whole, the police forces and everything, uh, the their standards and everything need to change. And what it, what that goes back to is what I was saying earlier: accountability. Accountability needs to be held not on the police force, but on the singular person or persons that do the wrong. You know what I mean? 
because that's really obstructing justice. And like I said earlier, just because you have on a badge, that doesn't make you a more superior being than any other human being. You know what I mean? Me working at my job just because I work at a school or because I'm a school staff doesn't mean that I could uh, harm a student or harm somebody's kids or something like that. You know what I mean? I don't have the right to do that because they act out or because they get mad or because, you know what I mean, they do whatever. I still have to be professional and I still have to handle my job, you know what I mean, and the guidelines and the training that I've been assessed. So, you know what I mean, like I said, that comes down to accountability. And as far as defunding, you know what I mean, like I was saying, defunding, it's not necessarily a, a, a abolishment of the police force. It's just saying that we want the proper funds to go towards, the, you know what I mean, the training and the mental health awareness of it. And the uh, culture, cultural awareness of the, you know what I mean, of the job, like like you were saying earlier, the cultural awareness of the job, you know what I mean, like like some of these uh, cops, like, I mean, I understand that you don't want to, you know what I mean, live in the city, you don't want to do the job, if, you're, if I'm a policeman, I don't want to be a policeman in the city that... I live here. You don't want to have to drive around and see these people, you know what I mean, that you have to, you might have to, you know what I mean, arrest on a certain day, you know what I mean, that's just a regular arrest or just a regular, you know what I mean, whatever, just a part of doing your job. So, you know what I mean, things like that. But at the same time, you have to have a cultural awareness and and a, and, and you have to be a human being at the end of the day. That's what it comes down to, it's just being a human being. Uh, it's, it's, you know what I mean? Because a lot of the things, like um, like Tim was touching on earlier, there's it, it no reason why just as being a black man, like, and when we all go through this, that we should feel like when we ride past a cop, which is driving past, you know what I mean? We all have license and everybody's valid that, you know what I mean? We have to be scared or feel a certain type of way or anything like that. That's, that's, that's BS. You know what I mean? Like, like that's nonsense. That's, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not right. And, and, uh, just that alone, just that standard alone and that people know that, I think that something has to be changed. You know what I mean? Like within the police force, like we see it in movies, we see it in, we read it in books, we see it on the news, we see it everywhere about the police brutality, we hear the music, you know what I mean? Everything that goes on, but still nothing changes. And, and that's something I feel like we have to get at a, um, um, at 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 a, at a citywide level, a statewide level, and then also at a presidential level, that we have to make people touch on eventually. You know what I mean? It's it's good for people. You know what I mean? Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and everything like that. The uh, it's good that we have a sister in there, and that we have you know what I mean the first woman vice president and the first um black vice president and everything like that. Um, but also eventually we have to touch on these issues as well. We have to see some sort of change go along with these issues. And I'm not saying that that has anything to do with Kamala right now at this sense, because it's, like I said, it starts at the citywide level. It starts at the statewide level. You know what I mean? It starts, you know what I mean? It goes on to, uh, to the people that can actually change the laws, your know, house of representatives, your senators and things like that. But, um, you know, Eventually, you know what I mean, we, we, we got to start, 
asking those questions and, and not only asking the questions but demanding results in that as well. Yeah. 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 That's the stuff. I agree. So, um, as you guys are well aware, um, if when you guys voted, um they're they're oh, I'm assuming that it's in the process of their legalizing marijuana. Yes. How do you guys how do you guys feel about that? How <laughs> do you how you feel about this whole situation? I mean, now if it's legal, we can. I will. I apologize. I'll say we. I don't smoke, but how do you feel about individuals being able to walk down the street and be able to smoke weed in the car and to walk? I, I mean, as if they smoke a cigarette. How do you guys feel about that? Do you think it's good or is it a bad thing? Well, man, check this out. If if I knew you were going to ask that question, I would have made sure my mom wasn't in the room when uh, <laughs> when I when I jumped on the on the podcast, brother. <laughs> so I'm gonna have to lie to you right now if you understand what I'm saying. So just reverse everything I'm saying, right? Whatever I'm saying, just think that I think the opposite, right? No, I'm kidding. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think I think there's bigger fish to fry than marijuana. You know, um, you know. I, 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 people can make the argument that, you know, drinking alcohol can be worse than marijuana or whatever the case may be. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that will get you in the mood and the feeling to make you do some stuff that you probably shouldn't do, right? So it isn't always about the substance. It's about your own level of temperance and self-control. When it comes mm-hmm. to marijuana at this point, there's so many uh, there's states that have done it. There's so much research that has been behind it. At the end of the day, man, live and let other people live, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm with it. At the same time, make sure you have reasonable regulations in place. You know what I mean? And just and, and as far as I'm concerned, don't make it – don't put certain policy in, in place that it makes it impossible or nearly impossible for the average business owner to own a business um, within the realm of marijuana if that was their pursuit. You know, don't make it an elitist thing where mm-hmm. you need a, a three, four, or five million dollar insurance policy if you want to open up like a, a marijuana store. You know what I'm saying? Because like, mm-hmm. you know, we do stuff like that. We'll 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 agree that like, okay, cool. We'll say yes, and now we legalize it. But we'll put certain systems in place that are also systematically racist. <laughs> that only allows mm-hmm. certain elitist members of our population, a.k.a. white people and wealthy white people, mm-hmm. to be able to own such things, right? Mm-hmm. And then you put it in, 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 in the Monmouth counties or you put them in the Bergen counties, right, and still not give us access to it, right? And so because of that, we're still selling it illegally and we're still consuming it illegally, but we're, and we're, but we're still going to jail, but now illegally, because you still caught me on the same thing you caught me before because, oh, I got weed, but I didn't get it from, like, a legal dispensary, right? And the reason why I didn't is because you put certain sanctions in place that would make it impossible for the average person that I know to even be a part of this industry if they wanted to, right? Make sure we all have access to it. The $10 that I use on my bag, it should be the same $10 that, that, that I should be able to walk into the dispensary and be like, yo, what, what you like, what are we doing with this, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to get there and then you tell me, oh, nah, we don't sell you anything that's, like, under $100. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, like, uh, all right. Now, now, Tim, stop me. You know what I mean? At any time, if, if you know what I mean, I'm going too far. Yeah. But um, when we go on marijuana, man. Say again. I said, I said, no, no, no. I said, stop me at any time if I'm going too mm-hmm. far here. But when we go on marijuana, I, t- I just, I, I just, I just look at it. Right. No, 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 no. We good. I know. I'm just saying, stop okay. me at any time if we're going too far. I'm just, you know, <laughs> what I mean? but um, when we talk about marijuana, man, this is something, and this is what I mean as far as with the police too. You know what I mean? They they got to be culturally aware of the things. You know what I mean? I go more. Marijuana is, you know what I mean? I started smoking like 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 compared to my friends, I started smoking late. I didn't start smoking until you know what I mean. I turned eighteen. You know what I mean? So so. I have friends, and, and you'd be surprised, you know what I mean? Like I said, I, you know what I mean? I told you what I do, you know what I mean? It's part of my profession, you know what I mean? And, and yes, I smoke. And I have friends that work in politics. I got friends that work in various different jobs. I got friends that work um, in the within the police force, with the, within the police force that um, – use marijuana. You know what I mean? I'm going to just say that. But I don't feel as though marijuana is anything that could be harmful to anyone unless it's used wrong, unless it's used in the wrong ways. You know what I mean? Just like alcohol. If it's used in the wrong ways, it could be harmful to anyone. But it's, you know what I mean? It's okay to indulge as long as you're doing it. You know what I mean? As long as you're of age and, you know what I mean? You're doing it within, you know what I mean? The confines of safety and things like that, you know what I mean? A- anything done, anything abused or done wrong can be harmful. But outside of that, come on, man, that's weird. Like, <laughs> man, come on, man. We see, we I mean, see Snoop Dogg. We see everybody. I mean, <laughs> most of the people that we see, you know what I mean, professionally that that or somebody, you know what I mean, successfully uh, using marijuana, you know what I mean, and having using marijuana. Like I said, I work within the school system, and there's many people that work within the school system, principals and uh, superintendents and things like that. That also, you know what I mean, use weed. Weed is nothing that's gonna harm anybody or things like that. So as far as weed, I'm glad that people finally woke up in New Jersey and and now I'm not gonna say woke up, but I'm glad that more people were aware. I don't think that last time that the world came around, a lot more people were aware of it. But now that that more people were aware and that it came around on the presidential ballot, uh, uh, I think that more people were aware of it now. I think that uh, that that definitely helped, and um, I'm definitely glad. Like I'm I'm I, I'm pro green, <laughs> so I'm glad that it that it did go down. Same. Are you still there? Yeah, yeah, I'm still. So I want to touch bases on um, the the uh, the the kids and this this virtual learning. Um, a lot of kids um are it's it's a big change for them. It's a difference, and um, oh, yeah. I and, and and I say this because 
I don't, I don't have any children of my own, but I'm a great uncle to my nieces and nephews. And um, the time that I have, when I am free, I do help them with their school, the virtual learning. And there's like, um, there's like maybe 15 students on that Zoom uh, meeting mm-hmm. uh, when they're learning. And there's maybe a teacher, and there's a teacher aide. But it's difficult. You have to go student by student. Uh, when you're doing that assignment, and and, and this is a, and this is this is the honest truth. Um, I've seen, and this is the thing. I've seen this. I've seen uh, parents who are doing everything under the sun while their child is in front of that camera, and it, 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 it bothers me. Like they're a reflection of you. You're the parent. So why are you doing what you're doing behind them? And they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're in school. I mean, so what does yeah. that say to, I mean, and this is the, the teacher, the person that's seeing this, that reflects you and your child. They're, yeah. they're yeah. taking all the things, they're jotting this down. So, I mean, I, yeah. I, I've, seen, I've seen a lot. And we're not talking to people of color, we're talking people, we're talking, the, uh, we're talking white people. And yeah. it's, it, I mean, enough that, a lot. My students sometimes they get frustrated. Like, why is it beyond this camera? Why is it? And and it's a lot. So they they work of getting consistently emailed to them for those students who are not in the school. So, and a lot of times the um they the, the teacher may not get to that student in particular, and they have to get up early in the morning. No, I mean, well, if you have small kids, you know that it's hard getting kids up in the morning for school. And the fact that I sit them in front of the computer. They want to break every five minutes. They want to eat something. They want to snack every mm-hmm. five minutes. It's not easy. But mm-hmm. the thing about it, you as a parent need to be a parent. And not, I, I, trust me, I was on camera. Did the parents and they were arguing. A mother had a beer and she smoked a cigarette in front of the camera. I mean, I, I don't mm-hmm. care what a person does at the end of the day, but they should not see the, the, the teachers should not see that on camera. I don't care if they do no. the that your business is your business. It's supposed to be about your child. <laughs> Right. And uh, what do you what do you think about this whole virtual learning situation? I I, mean, I know that a lot of the parents, I mean, a lot of the kids because of the the um, the spike in the coronavirus now, and I mean, it was supposed mm-hmm. to well, in, my, in North Jersey area, it was supposed to be open November, but now it's supposed to be January now. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on that, man? Working with the kids, man. Oh, um, I mean, honestly. Honestly, I feel like it varies. I mean, uh, like from uh, from child to child, because like working in the school system, you see that some kids like well. As far as me, I work in the alternative school system, so you know, what I mean, it's a little different than the public school system. But uh, you see that some kids are suited for it, and some kids aren't necessarily suited for the virtual learning. Me, I'm more of. Uh, I'm more pro everybody going virtual right now. It's, I got three daughters, you know what I mean? And all of my daughters are virtual, and they're not going back to school this year just off of the uh, coronavirus, and, you know what I mean, with, with everything with COVID and everything like that. You know what I mean? It's just a precaution and keeping them safe like that. You know what I mean? If everything is better, you know what I mean, gets uh, better by next school year, next September, then I will put them back in. But I'm not putting my kids, you know what I mean, as far as riding the buses and things like that, just being in the uh, classroom and and around, you know what I mean, uh, the teachers and different adults and stuff like that every day. 
And I feel like the virtual for right now is okay. You know what I mean? For me. But that's just for me and my family. You know what I mean? The way that we have it in place and we have it, you know what I mean, system in place right now where me and my uh, fiance and my children are uh, straight. But like I said, it varies from household to household. Some households can um, establish a, a, a real foundation to get their kids set up every day. I know some moms have to go to work and um, some parents just aren't suitable and th- you know what I mean? Things like that that have their kids under control and things like that. So, you know what I mean? They have to send their kids into school and things like that for their, for their kids to actually have a chance at education because they'll be at home and having it be up to themselves, they won't get it done. So I also understand that aspect as well. And um, and like I said, it varies from, you know what I mean, um, from household to household pretty much. Absolutely. Corey? Yeah, uh, yeah man, I, I, I have... <laughs> I'm really getting the kick out of this question because I'm the vice principal. I'm the vice principal of an elementary school, uh-huh. <laughs> and so like this is literally um, up my alley. And I'm I'm responsible for school culture and behavior specifically. Uh-huh. So like mm-hmm. this is literally my life every day. Right? And uh, here, here's what I say, man. Like the fact of the matter is that none of us planned for this. None of us anticipated it. And if you work in urban education, you know that there's already a huge educational gap between a lot of our students Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and a lot of um, their counterparts that live in other parts of either the county, Mm -hmm. city, or the state, right? So there's a lot of work that we got to do. And we were already doing the best that we can to try to, like, catch up, you know? The last thing that we needed, especially when you're talking about um, students who are already reading grade levels behind. And I don't say totally. that to, like, you know, like, make, make it seem like everything is bad or anything. Like, I'm just, I'm just naming what the facts are, right? Like, you're in fourth grade, but your reading level is, is a second grade, a beginning of second uh-huh. grade of reading level. There's a lot totally. of that, you know? Yes. There's, there's a lot mm-hmm. of kids who aren't able to, you know, write adequately. And the reality of the situation is when you engage with their parents, they're struggling with the same thing that their kids are, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when we're talking about, like, virtual education and we're talking about a Zoom, we literally were in a situation before that when that kid shows up to school, you could not visibly see the reality that they were living in when they were at home. But the only thing that you really had control over was that eight hours that you had them for that school day, right? When you come in here at 8, 10, 8, 15, 8, 30, whatever time it may be, and you leave at 2.45 all the way up to, like, 4.30, I'm responsible mm-hmm. for you at that time. And I may not be able to see, literally see, what happens in your world before you got here, and I wasn't able to literally see what happens when you leave here. I can only see you in the physical sense right now, right? This virtual thing has opened us all up to realities that some of us couldn't even imagine. The same way it's true for a person who is a a teacher or a vice principal, uh, it's also true for the kid, and it's also true for that kid's parents. Some of our community members 
And it, so, so there's, 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 there's multiple things here. Some of our community members know themselves that they could do a little bit better. But the reality is they don't feel like it. <laughs> and it's hard. And I'm not saying that that's okay. But, like, that person that you see that is doing something in the background that we don't think that is appropriate, I think all of us need to give grace to each other. You know, because you're literally in my household now. If black people care about anything, they care about their business not leaving their household, right? (laughs) But, like, these cameras have been allowed for us to have access into people's lives, their realities, and their spaces in ways that we never imagined before. And that's incredibly, incredibly intrusive. Mm -hmm. Like, you get to see everything that a kid is, the good the bad and the ugly, right? And even though that parent is doing something that is by all, by any means inappropriate, we also have to name and acknowledge that they still thought enough and they still thought it was important enough to have their kid log on that day. Because literally that is an accomplishment in and of itself. When I'm calling Mm -hmm. parents, when I'm calling families, like literally, I do this every day, but specifically on Thursdays at 1.15 p.m. is the, the, the next two to three hours that I use reaching out to kids who were absent. And these are kids that I saw some of the same inappropriate behaviors on their Zoom. But you know what? I still saw them now. And the reality is, is whatever was going on in your background, you still made a conscious effort to, like, show up here. And so what I'm going to teach you is how to turn your camera off <laughs> if it's not, like, the most appropriate thing in the moment. But I still would rather you be here than not. And when I call families because I see inappropriate behavior like that on my Zooms with my students because I experience it rather frequently, the first thing that I say to the parent is, like, real talk, like, real talk, I just appreciate the fact that, like, you thought it important enough to, like, actually even show up, right? Mm-hmm. So please keep doing that because I got a lot of kids that's just not showing up. Mm-hmm. Some of them I haven't seen since the pandemic. Some of them I see whenever they feel like it, literally, whether it's once a week or once a month, right? So first I'm just like, yo, I just appreciate you being here, and I'm not going to tell you <laughs> what's okay and what's not okay in your household. But what I am asking is that since we're a community school, (laughs) that just be mindful for that not to live out in the same area that our baby is getting their instruction. Mm -hmm. Because when I see it, I have to do something about it. I have to say something about it. And at the end of the day, I don't want to be in your business like that. But the first thing that I do is offer encouragement and offer praise and tell the parent, like, not for nothing, I understand. Because when I have these phone calls, like, I get so much further with that honey than I do with the, the, the vinegar. Like, yo, like, you know, like, I'm sorry, you know, Mrs. Mrs. James or Mr. Jones or whatever, but what you were doing in the background was completely inappropriate, da 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 boom. I lost your investment instantly, mm-hmm. right? Instead, when I call and be like, yo, I get it, it's hard, it's tough, like, real talk, bro, like, I got, I got my, you know, I got my little beard, too, or whatever. I get it. I have my moments, too. Like, just turn the camera off, right? 
or try to go in another room or do this. But, like, at the end of the day, just keep showing up. And keep in mm-hmm. mind, if there's something that you're going through and we can help, like, we're here. And to me, that's what a community school looks like. A community school is just like, yo, at the end of the day, this situation may not feel good. This whole virtual thing is frustrating for y'all. It's frustrating for the teachers. It's, but, like, we're going to get through it. And, like, I'm not just here to teach your, teach your kid, but I'm, like, I'm here to, like, be a support for whatever it is that you're experiencing, you're going through. Because not for nothing, like, I'm probably experiencing it, too. <laughs> and I got kids, too. And that's when parents are like, you know what? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad somebody understands. I'm glad somebody gets it or whatever. This has been hard for me or whatever. That's when you get what you need there. And it's just like, yo, not for mm-hmm. nothing. Like, like, so I'm going to see you tomorrow, and I'm going to come in here, and I'm going to check you out. But, like, just, just keep what we talked about in mind. And they're like, I got you, Mr. Harris. I got you. People like the medicine better when it's for episodes. <laughs> yeah, man, exactly. <laughs> and I'm so sorry. I feel like I'm just talking and talking and talking. I apologize for that. <laughs> Um, no, 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 no. You, you're good, man. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a lot. And again, I'm one of those who assist with it, and it's difficult. And I, I feel, I feel bad personally for those kids, for those kids who need um, one-on-one. And um, mm-hmm. because some kids get frustrated, and I, I, I have these connections. Yeah, some of them they get frustrated. They, they, they need that one-on-one, and they can't get that on a virtual. They can't get that. They need someone that's there with them to step by step. I mean, me, me personally, I learned that way. I learned one on one when I was even in college. I I had I I I got the additional funding for me to be tutored after class. Even though I was sitting in class, I got tutored after class just to make sure that it can sneak in and that I get it. it. Doesn't make me any different. Just that I learned differently from other individuals, and I, it's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. But some in Say that the kids, some of these kids, a lot, a lot of the kids need that and need that one on one, and they and they don't get it when they're doing virtual learning, and they get frustrated. And I mean, you know, and I totally understand. So um, back when, back before the whole pandemic came about, and it's another thing I want to touch on with you guys being educators, a lot of the parents would just send their kids to school for the teacher to be the teacher the parent, and every other thing included. And um, one day when I took my niece to stop her off at school, another parent came in. She found the challenge, and she ran out the door. And the teacher called her and said, come back here. And she said, I'm not, she said, I'm the teacher. I'm not the parent. I need you to be a parent. I need you to assist with your child. So she said, no, that's your job because the child she just wanted to try to teach her, teach her child how to tie a shoe, how to do other things. And she said, I'm just a teacher. But some parents expect that teacher to raise their child and to be the parent and the teacher themselves. And, it, 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 again, a teacher has a difficult job. I admit that one. It's difficult. So, you know, they have enough on their hands instead of trying to – so a parent expecting them to be the parent and the teacher, it becomes difficult. So a lot of those parents that are now that have to be there with their kids in virtual learning, it's a whole, it, it's additional to this. So what do you think about those parents that 
send their kids to school for the teacher to do the entire job. Uh, I mean, that, that's, that's, I mean, at the end of the day, you know what I mean? You got kids, man. You you got to teach your kids. You, you, you have to teach your kids your their home training. You have to teach your kids their morals and values and things like that. Something like tying a shoe. A teacher shouldn't be teaching a kid how to tie a shoe. You know what I mean? <laughs> a teacher can't, shouldn't be teaching a kid how to ride a bike or how to, you know what I mean? Teachers should be teaching them how to write their P's and how to cross the T's and dot the I's and things like that. That's all that a teacher should be teaching. You know what I mean? That, that, and, and that's, I mean, like I said, that, that's in my personal opinion, but, I mean, that's, that's reality. You know what I mean? You're, you're a, a, a kid, school teacher shouldn't teach them, um, shouldn't have to teach them things like that because school teachers also have kids that have lives and have things like that, especially nowadays where everything is is way more sensitive um, in society. I think in the, as far as teachers and, and counselors and um, principals and aides and things like that have to take an extra uh, precaution nowadays just because everything is more sensitive and so it's more like as far as what they say and, um, you know, being too close and moving and, uh, and like physically and things like that. I, I think it's more of a precaution. I definitely get the one-on-one sense. Like, the one, I, like uh, I started out as a one-on-one, so I definitely understand from the one-on-one sense. Um, you know what I mean? A lot of kids need that one-on-one sense, but I mean that that one-on-one um, uh, help. But a lot of uh, AIDS and things like that right now, like as far as in the pandemic, I'm I'm just talking about in the pandemic. A lot of the AIDS and things like that that I work with and things like that, man, like like they're they're dealing with the same problems as you know what I mean as everybody else. So they got family members or them themselves that been sick or caught COVID or you know what I mean, things like that. So they're scared and they're man, like like just working in the school system right now, like it, it's it's crazy. You know what I mean? It's crazy right now. It's half of the classroom is virtual and Half is uh, physical, and you know what I mean. Some schools, I understand. Some schools got, uh, uh, you know what I mean, where they're going three days a week or two days a week and cleaning on on one day a week and stuff like that. Like it's it's a lot right now, and like I said, it, it varies from subject to subject. You know, I mean, or not. I'm sorry, I, I don't mean subject to subject. It, it varies from. Uh, family to family and from household to household um, as far as, you know what I mean, the best path for each person. Because like I said, some some students are better suitable right now for the virtual thing because they can understand it and they can get themselves up in the morning and they can, you know what I mean, abide by the rules and everything like that. Come there prepared, come there dressed properly. They don't have nothing going on in the background and things like that. I, but then you got some kids who can't, like I said. But it's more so, I think, that the kids that more so need more of the help, excuse me, are the younger generation. The younger generation, the elementary kids that we have in our, like in our school and things like that, it's more the elementary kids that are there and the middle school kids that are there because they 
they need that physical presence of, you know what I mean, of uh, of somebody there, you know what I mean, just showing them, just being able to have that, like you said, that one-on-one uh, um, presence. Corey, this one is, is a little tough for me. I, I, I understand everybody's position, and at the end of the day, it's the parents' chief responsibility make sure that the needs are met for said child. Um, but I, I actually haven't had, I can think about one parent, genuinely one parent, that did expect me to do the entire job. That one parent was just like, will you take him? Like, actually, would you take, would, would you take him? And um, I wasn't in a position where I could take him. And actually, I, I and I, I didn't totally want to take him either, if that makes any sense, even though that may sound a little selfish. But outside of that, I haven't had parents that are expecting me to do, like, the entire job, you know. But I do, I think also maybe, you know, what you're saying is that, like, just expecting the teacher to do more than teach. Um, For me, the reality of urban education is that, like, it's not just about the academics or what, what happens in the class. Like, I am required to be, or in some instances, I am required to be more than the teacher. Like, I've been a lot of different things. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, sometimes, I mean, I, I don't I don't want to disrespect the title at all, but sometimes I feel like I am a social worker, right? Or I feel like I'm an older brother, or I feel like I'm a father or an uncle, right? Or, or a mentor, or whatever the case may be, because the reality is my kids don't just show up for education. They show up with so many other things, too. Like, I go to birthday parties, I go to family cookouts, I've been to kids, parents' weddings, I've been to funerals, right? And in that Mm -hmm. sense, I'm not just a teacher. If Mm -hmm. you're in my classroom, right, because, I mean, I'm I'm a vice principal now, but before I was in the classroom, if you you were in my classroom, like, you became became a part of my family. I was a part of yours. (laughs) Like... You are a young black child from this city, and I am too. Like, and when I reflect back, my best teachers, the one who had the greatest impact, were ones who were willing to talk to me on Saturday sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were people that took me places that they didn't necessarily have to take me or buy me a little ice cream, right, or just do something that, like, it was a little bit more than just, like, teach me how to, like, add or read. Those are the ones that I still talk to. Those are the ones who had the greatest impact, right? And like for mm-hmm. me, like above and beyond for my students. And I and I don't and I'm not saying that like that if another person decides not to do that, I don't judge them for that because you have to have boundaries in your own life too. But for me, when you step in my classroom, yo, we become family. Have I had that great impact on every student that I've had? Absolutely not. But have I been intentional about some of those relationships? You better believe it. You know, I got kids now that are uh, that are, are, are uh, seventh graders that I had when um, they were in kindergarten. They have my phone number. I have their phone number. Mm-hmm. And it's just like this is what this looks like in urban education, <laughs> like real talk. And so – when parents need me to be a little bit more, I do what I can. 
I can't say I do everything. You know, I'm not going to let anybody necessarily take advantage, right? But my mom was a single mom who was underemployed and did the absolute best that she could. And when somebody who was just like, yo, like you, when somebody saw a light in me, right, and, they, and, 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 and they, they, they just went that extra mile, my whole community appreciated it. And it's the reason why I'm becoming what I aspire to become. You know, I still got a ways to go, you know what I'm saying? But it's like those are the reasons why. So for me, when parents look at me and just be like, yo, I literally have parents like, yo, Mr. Harris, like, I like 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 your cut looks pretty good. Like where do you go next time you go? Do you mind taking them? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about right there. And when we go, we're gonna talk about whatever you want to talk about, but we're gonna get this work in too, right? Like make sure you do math problems and make sure you do this, right? So I I just think that for those of us who work in the community, that's kind of more what it should look like. But if a person decides that they don't want to be more than just an academic, I'm not going to knock them either because at the end of the day, that's what they're getting paid for. But the impact sometimes happens kind of outside of the math and the English and those things. And then you get to, like, really chop it up, you know, in, in other ways. Not just with the kid, but the whole family and looking at you as an extension of their family. Absolutely. I I, um, I appreciate both of you guys, man, for uh... – uh, being uh, educators, man, and, and working with the kids. Um, me personally, I, I, I did it for I did it for a couple of years, and now left because I, I I don't have the patience for it. So I commend you guys on it. It's not an easy job, but I, I, I'm yeah, I left. Yeah, I'm sorry, bro. I appreciate you knowing that, and I appreciate you saying that. And like that's that's fine, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I, I I taught I taught in the South Orange Maplewood area. And it was, it's, I mean, it's, it's different. And I say this because I'm going to give a prime example. I, I had a student who it was, it was a summertime and she wore fur, fur coat throughout the summer. We're talking 89 degree weather, fur coat. And, and I asked her mom, I said, ma'am, I said, your child's wearing fur and, and it's hot. And then she's like, oh, she just loves fur. There's nothing wrong with her. Are you trying to say something's wrong with my daughter? I said, no, I didn't say that at all. I just said she's wearing fur and it's hot. Oh, what you trying to say? You're trying to say something wrong with her? I'm going to talk to the principal about you. I said, oh, that's fine. I said, I didn't say anything was wrong with your child. I just I said the questions about why she's wearing fur and it's hot outside if she's sweating. She said, oh, she just loves fur. That's just, that's just her. That's her favorite. She loves fur. I'm like, okay. I mean, I... I mean, you don't see anything wrong with the picture, then I mean, oh, I don't know. I mean, but she, so it, that it, I, I dealt with situations like that, and you know, it's, and you know, so I, I said, listen, here, this, this is not for me. This is not for me. It's not my, this is, it's not me for me to educate children, not in the classroom. So I backed out. I just got the show three years. I'm sorry, man. I just wanted to I'm just like I'm like that's good stuff, man, because it makes it makes sense now because like you were talking with like such a passion <laughs> about like the education stuff, and I was just like, there's there's something here. I don't know what it is, but like, and then when you said like, yo, you used to do it and it's not for you, I'm like, okay, now, okay, it makes sense. He has some personal experience with this, and he's just like, nah, it wasn't for me, bro. <laughs> Yeah, it definitely takes a lot of patience, man. It's a lot of patience, and, and, and like, um, like I was saying earlier, man. Like, like I deal with the kids outside of you know what I mean. Work, 
more than actually at work, you know what I mean, as far as coaching football and uh, boxing and things like that. So it, it, it's, man, like just a lot of patience, just a lot of, you know what I mean, and having three daughters of my own, definitely a lot of patience. It's a lot of patience. And also working in that field is what also helped me um, be able to have more patience dealing with my own children. You know what I mean? Seeing some of the things that some of these kids come from and some of the ways that they were treated and some of the feelings and thoughts that they expressed helped me be able to look at, you know what I mean, my own children and just have more patience and understanding with that as well. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, so, guys, um, us as black men, how do you think we can make progress individually, progress to see change in all the areas that we've discussed, especially um, this whole um, with this you know election, this new uh, uh, president, this new vice president coming in? I mean, you know, this whole this whole situation. How do you think we as individuals can make progress? Yeah, I, I personally think that. I can probably answer this in so many different ways, but in the most basic level is like, I think that we're already making it. So, you know, I wouldn't say like, how can we make progress? I'm encouraged to do like exactly what I've already been doing, you know? And like, I would say the same thing, like for what we've talked about, you know what I mean? In the terms of the things that you do, you know what I mean? Between the social work, in terms of being a father of three girls, in terms of you being a reporter, in terms of you creating spaces like this on a podcast for us to have these types of conversations, in terms of the stuff that, like, I'm trying to do every day, you know, with the kids that that, that I'm in service to, like, I just want to continue to be consistent. I want them to see a person that, like, gets up every day, he takes his garbage out every day, um, I can see that his mom is a bit disabled, but I see him, like, helping her all the time. I see him being nice to his girlfriend. Like, I see him uh, going to work every day. I see him coming home or whatever. I see him being intentional about, like, want to do things with kids, right? And when he's at work, he's, he's respectful. He's engaging with students. He's engaging with parents. He's engaging with teachers. He's engaging with families. I just want to keep doing that because, to me, that is progressive. If I can have a kindergartner, first, second, third, or fourth grader, say like, yo, you know, you know, how many of us have been asked, like, did you ever have a black male teacher when you were growing up? My kids can be like, yeah, I saw, like, black men in my building since I was in kindergarten. They were nice to me. They educated me. They supported me. To me, that, that is progress. And I just want to keep doing what God has already allowed me to do. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, man. We um, we we, we have fine. been progressing. I I do think that we can progress more. Um, as far as like I said, that the, the progression that I see, the only progression that I see, is in the um, um, police brutality and in the uh, systematic oppression. You know what I mean? Like like better two levels of of um. That's the two levels of, uh, I mean, I mean, because cause, cause when you look at it, 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 it's not getting better. You know what I mean? Like, like since 
whoever, you know what I mean? I was born in 89, and since the, the first Bush was in there, when Clinton was in there, when uh, the second Bush was in there, when Obama was in there, we've seen police brutality, we've seen senseless killing, we've seen systematic oppression. Those are the type of progressions that I'd like to see go further, you know what I mean? And they have been going further in the past 10 and 20 and 30 years. It has progressed and, you know, as far as what it was. Like I said, we got our first woman uh Vice President, we got our first black Vice President, we got our first black woman, you know what I mean, uh, Vice President. Uh, so, you know, what I mean, things are progressing. Um, it's just, it's just more at an actual citywide level, statewide level that I like to see things progress a little more rapidly um, um, for our people, and that also goes to a culture thing. You know what I mean? As far as us, it's a lot on us as a people as well. Um, progression. Um, if I mean, I, I appreciate both of you guys, man, um, taking time out to come on the podcast. Um, I also want to encourage both of you guys. Um, if you know someone that's um, going through depression or going through some type of mental uh, issue, is to encourage them and, and just uh, have a conversation with them. It, it, only, it, only, it doesn't cost you anything. And it, it just takes a few minutes out of your time if you know that individual is suffering from something, because the last thing that you want to do is have so have have them take their own life, and you could have prevented that. And um, I am I may first I'm a big advocate for mental health. I, I've done marches, I've done walks every year. I sit on the panel with the Mental Health Association for the state of New Jersey, and I talk with a lot of psychiatrists. A lot of uh, medical doctors, and I, I mean, I talk to them, and I, I mean, I, anyone knows me knows I'm not an advocate for medication all the time, because I guess because when someone says quickly I'm stressing, you don't need to, you don't need to pull out a prescription pad and say, hey, let me put you on a bill of fire, let me put you on this medication. That's not always needed. That individual may just need a conversation. It could, you know, it could have helped them. So. Um, if you can, it's just a, just a, it's just a favor of mine that if you guys have the opportunity to help that individual. Um, any last words, man, before I let you guys go, man? I appreciate you guys, man, for being on with me, for knowing what you have, man. I really appreciate both of you. Yeah, man, I appreciate you too, sir, man. Uh, definitely appreciate the opportunity that you put for us. And uh, I definitely enjoyed this uh, talk with both of y'all and being on here. And I'm glad that I can
Um, I may be reaching out to you, man, to join another panel, man. Because, um, I mean, we need a lot of them, man, to to see more progress being done. So, um, Let's do it. Sure, sure thing, man, for sure. We'll do. All right, man. I appreciate you, brother, man. Take care. All right, man. You take care, man. I appreciate both of you guys, man. You guys have a, a blessed evening. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this panel today. Uh, for more information on today's panel, please uh, email the show, timothyhoshow.gmail.com, and uh, a representative from my staff will get back to you in regards to today's podcast. Uh, for any uh, show that you would like to see or anything that you would like to be brought up in a future show, please, again, email timothyhoshua at gmail.com for more information today. So thank you guys so much for listening and tuning in uh, to today's show. There's a lot of um, guests. There's so much coming up with the podcast. I'm going to leave you with that great way you got to be. Love you. Stay up there, Sean. We'll meet again. Peace.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.